So, hey, Citizen Church, we are starting a brand new series today called Amazed by Jesus, and we are so honored to have the author of the book that this sermon series is based on joining us on a Zoom call. He is all the way in England right now, um, Simon Ponsonby, and I just have to say, truly, we are honored, honored, honored. We sent him an email on a whim, just saying, you know, we were in a meeting saying, I wonder what it would be like if we could get him on a Zoom call. And he just responded and said yes, and was so gracious. So thank you, Simon, for for joining us today. We are honored, honored, honored. Well, the honest mind, uh, Dustin, I, it's not every day I get a, an email that comes from America. And when I do, <laughs> it's one of the ones I pay attention to rather than all the business here. And uh Fantastic. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be with you and your church this morning. Feelings mutual. And so we got, Mandy and I got the opportunity to um, sit under a, a teaching of Simon when we were in um, Oxford last May. And um, he gave all of the pastors on this trip um, his latest book, Amazed by Jesus. Um, I got to read it last summer and it so impacted me. We just thought this would be a great sermon series theme leading into Easter. So um, Simon, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and the church you're involved in there and maybe a little bit of the history of that. Sure. Well, thank you. Um, so I'm a minister at St. Aldate's Church in Oxford, and uh, I'm the teaching pastor there. I was a university chaplain to Oxford University for seven years. Um, and then in the last 18, I've been the, the teaching pastor. And St. Aldate's is a, a large, lively city center church. Uh, we have uh, several hundred undergraduates, several hundred postgraduates, a hundred PhD academics and medics. It's a it's a large, vibrant uh, church from people from all around the world, and um, we seek to meet with Jesus and to make Jesus known. It's just, it's incredible. It just seems like when we were there and even on social media since then that there's really a move of God right now um, in the church. And it just feels like there's a, a revival happening with college students and it, it's exciting. It really is exciting at the moment. We, we've got a new rector, uh, Stephen Foster, who came two years ago, formerly the national, international director of Alpha. And he's brought a real energy, a real passion and a real focus on evangelism. Uh, perhaps in previous years, we'd been more focused on renewal and on teaching and discipling. But this is a season of outreach and in gathering. And um, we've doubled the services. And we're really uh, all in for evangelism. And it's bearing fruit. It's, a, it's really exciting for an old vicar like me to, to be in a context where every week people are coming to faith. And um, we had three girls come to faith one week after another, three female students. Only one of them had any religious background, uh, but all three were called Grace. So no three weeks running, Grace, Grace, Grace. And, and we just feel this is a season of, of Grace and uh, the Lord's blessing us. But we're, we're building on centuries of, of God's goodness and the faithfulness of the saints before our church is about 1,100 years old, and under our feet, uh, when we worship, there is a Saxon, a Norman church and a Saxon church, and there are hundreds of bodies buried under us going back to the ninth and 8th century. 
So we, we feel that we're building on the foundation laid by the faithfulness of the saints in the past. Literally. Literally. Wow, wow, wow. Well, you, you've written, how many books have you written, Simon? Oh, a few. Uh, <laughs> I would say so. Yeah, about uh, about 10 something. 10. Like well, I, I dream to maybe one day write one, so we'll we'll see. But um, um, yeah, your your latest book, "Amazed by Jesus." I just wanted to hear from you a little bit about why why you came to write this book, and maybe just a little bit about what it means to you. Thank you. Yes. Um, well, I I attended a funeral about three years ago of a a mentor of mine called Dr. Michael Green, and he was a very famous very distinguished church evangelist in our country and a theologian known worldwide. And he'd mentored me and encouraged me over many decades. And uh, I was at his funeral and uh, he was in his 90s when he died, but um, we were hearing testimony about how, sorry, we were hearing <clears throat> how even up to the point he died, he was handing out evangelistic tracts, he was sharing his faith, uh, he was leading people to the Lord, you know, just days before he graduated the glory. And um, I sat there and uh, I, I felt, gosh, something's gone wrong in my own journey with the Lord. And uh, the ministry, I think I'd got stale, you know, I've been ordained nearly 30 years and I think I just got staled, stale and weary and drained and, you know, several years of stuck into theological politics and and I'd lost my first love. Mm -hmm. And uh, I realized that Michael had kept his first love and, until the end. And um, this sort of weighed heavily on me. But uh, a couple of days later, I was working in a cafe, writing a sermon for Sunday. And I was just reading, wondering what to preach on. I was reading through the texts and in the Gospels. And what struck me was the phrase that came up that said that they were amazed by Jesus. And uh, I obviously knew the, the verses, but I thought, I, I'm no longer amazed by Jesus. I'm used to Jesus. Wow. I want to be amazed by him again. And uh, there in the coffee shop, I just sort of called out to the Lord and I began writing and words tumbled out. And eventually that became a, a talk that was uh, went online and people, people um, were encouraged by it. It was called Jesus is Amazing. And uh, that then turned into a book. I just wanted to linger on this theme of being amazed by Jesus. That is, that is awesome and, and very, very, very moving. And you get that from the book. Um, you, you get that sincerity. And I think so many people, maybe even sitting in the room in our church today watching this, um, feel the same. I've gone through that exact season before. I love that wording. You had lost being amazed by Jesus and got used to Jesus. And I think that's where so many believers find themselves um, unintentionally. And I, I just, I love that. And that's this book sparked that for me again. And so I, I just 
really, really, really appreciate you taking the time um, to write it. May, maybe just maybe we can end by you just encouraging our congregation a little bit um, and keeping in that theme. Why why would you encourage someone to pick up this book today? Well, uh, the book points to Jesus, and it's Jesus that we need. Yeah, and He's all we need, and He's the altogether lovely one. I mean, no one else died for our sins. No one else rose again to give us eternal life. No one else is God who's offered to come and live in us by his spirit. No one else is preparing eternity for 2,000 years for us to be with him forever. No one else has done that. Who else is there like him? So if not Jesus, then who? And if not all out for Jesus, then what else is there? Uh, there was a great evangelist called Gypsy Smith years ago who said uh, that he had never lost the wonder of it all. And sometimes we lose the wonder and uh, things get a bit foggy with our vision of Jesus. But I hope in a little way in the book to be looking at scripture and in scripture to be looking at Jesus and putting him front and center in our lives where he should be. Now I'm actually in the town of Capernaum in the Holy Land. Capernaum is a very important town in the Bible because this is a city where Jesus did a lot of the most famous miracles that we know about in scripture. This is where he healed Jairus' daughter. This is the area he pulled up when the crowd met him and he walked into town and he healed the woman with the issue of blood. This is where he healed Peter's mother-in-law. This is where he cast out many, many demons. But also another very famous story that happened here right on the shoreline is this is where Jesus approached his first disciples and called them to follow him. I wanna read this famous story to you from Mark 1, starting in verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. So today what I want you to think about and ask yourself is, am I willing to drop my nets to follow Jesus? What am I willing to leave behind in order to walk into the future that Jesus has for me? What, a, what, a, what an emotional, um, video that is interviewing the author, and I, I would encourage you to pick up that book. And um, there, I'll just say this today, and coming off of last service, there is there's is something special um, today, and I, I believe it's completely because of the 100% focus on Jesus. And I want us to kind of set the stage um, for the message today to receive, and understanding and kind of reflecting on that statement that Simon Ponsonby made that he had become used to Jesus and ceased to be amazed by Jesus. And I wonder if maybe that's where you are today, and I know that many of us have gone through seasons like that in our lives, and I think that is a, a big problem for a lot of us, um, especially in the West and in our country. This passage that I just read 
Uh, our church went to the Holy Land this last fall, a group from our church, and it impacted me so much being there and walking the streets where Jesus walked and, and being in towns like Capernaum where he did all of these miracles and standing in the spot within a, a few hundred yards where he called out to those disciples on the boat and said, cast your nets on the other side and called them to follow him and be fishers of men. That's, that's the beginning of the story of the disciples and the church and, and what they were to build and all the stories that we know today through the book of Acts and all through the New Testament. It started in Capernaum with that simple statement where Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We see this story from three different vantage points. In Matthew, it's in chapter four. In Mark, it's in chapter one. And in Luke, it's in chapter five. Same story, different vantage points. And to set the stage, the disciples are in this boat, a couple of them, um, Peter and Andrew are in a boat, and um, they are trying to fish, and they're fishing all night, and they don't catch anything, and they're fishermen. And then there's this rabbi, Jesus, walking on the shore, and he calls out to them, and he says, cast your nets on the other side, and, and so they do it, and then they catch this massive haul of fish. They, they don't know what to do about this because they've just experienced and witnessed a miracle. Then this man who apparently did the miracle says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So I want to start today by asking this question and just answering your own minds, not out loud or, or with hands or anything like that, but just thinking. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? You know, I think if you have been coming to church or you've called yourself a Christian, you'll probably, the immediate answer would be yes. But I think oftentimes we find ourselves wandering more than following. We're wandering in the name of Jesus, but somewhere along the way we stopped following Jesus because we stopped being amazed by Jesus and got used to Jesus. And I think in this world, if we are wandering what's happening, many of us, we are wandering from event to event, scheduled thing in our lives to the next scheduled thing, all of the chaos in our lives and in our world, we're bouncing around, wandering from thing to thing. We're battling time, battling schedule, battling anxiety. And because of all of these things, we find ourselves today, many of us, if we were truthful, if someone said, how are you doing? Most of us would say, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And I think that it's okay to be tired, but I also know that the call of Jesus is meant to be a weight off of our shoulders, an adventure. The life that he has for us brings purpose and destiny to our lives. And if we are following Jesus and living in a constant state of exhaustion, we're doing something wrong. Many of us today, nothing excites us anymore. There's no real sense of adventure in our lives and our Christian faith. Life has been reduced to errands, work, school runs, casual church attendance. And if we have enough time at the end of the day, we might try to squeeze in a little bit of Netflix or a movie just to escape the stress of life for a few minutes. And I can tell you today, that's not the life God has for you. This life with God is meant to be an adventure. A life with God, when Jesus looked at those disciples and said, follow me, they had no idea what was about to happen in their lives. 
They had no idea that we would be talking about them 2,000 years later when they started following this man on the shore. But Jesus today stands on the shore of our lives right now, calling to you with one statement. Follow me. Stop wandering. Follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Are you following or are you wandering? I want us to look at two different aspects today of Jesus's call in Mark chapter one and those three different vantage points in the three different gospels. The first aspect of Jesus's call is what I was just saying. It's very simple. Number one, the call to follow Jesus. I think some sermons sometimes need to be so simple it hurts because Jesus gave us some very simple commands that sometimes, if, if you're like me, sometimes we just look at them and go, nah, you know? And I think today he's saying, follow me. And we wanna know what that means. I think most of us today would say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. But for some reason in this world, I'm having a hard time. And there's grace for that, but that's why I wanna take a look at this. In the original language, what Jesus was saying, he is saying, follow me, but more specifically, he's saying, come alongside me. Come walk with me. That, that's what it means. It's not an aimless following trying to find where he goes. Jesus is just saying, don't overcomplicate this. Just come walk with me. Come alongside me as I go through this life with you. Be with me. That day when the disciples left their nets and followed Jesus, there had to have been something so amazing about him that it stopped them dead in their tracks left what they were doing, their livelihood, their fishing, and followed this man. Because we, we have the luxury of hindsight. We can look at this story and go, well, of course they're gonna drop their nets and leave their boats and follow Jesus. He was about to make them one of the 12 disciples, the future fathers of our faith and the fathers of church that would build the church around the world. They had no idea. What was so amazing about Jesus that caused them to step out of the boat that day and follow this man? We don't know all the details of that and the specific answer to that, but I can tell you this. It had nothing to do with what Jesus was offering. It had everything to do with Jesus. There was something about him that was amazing. And oftentimes we lose the fact that he's amazing because we start focusing on whether or not he is giving us the amazing things we want him to give us. But the focus is on Jesus because he's Amazing. A couple things we need to know about following Jesus is this. Number one, he calls you personally. The call of Jesus is not this open-ended call to all of humanity. He is calling all of humanity, but what I love about God is he doesn't look at us as a mass of human beings. He looks at you as an individual. In this story, the Bible calls the disciples by name, but then Jesus calls them by name. Jesus wasn't walking the shore of the Sea of Galilee that day saying, I think I need fishermen to be my disciples. Jesus was walking the shore of Galilee, not aimlessly searching for men, but he was searching for Peter. He was searching for Andrew. He was searching for someone that had a name, someone with a specific destiny that he had given these individuals before the dawn of time. 
before they were ever in their mother's womb, Jesus knew that day he was looking for Peter. He's looking for you. He's not looking for the masses. He is drawing you to him, saying, come follow me. He's calling you by name. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus and you've never gone all in on following him, you're not here by accident. You're here because Jesus was walking the shoreline of your life and he has been drawing you to this moment to look you in the eyes spiritually and say, follow me into a life of purpose and adventure. We've gotta leave something behind in order to step into the future that Jesus has for us. It's a personal call. The fact that Jesus was a rabbi was also something interesting at this time because the terminology, follow me, they knew Jesus, Jesus was a rabbi. He would have been wearing the clothes. They, they would have known he was a rabbi. And when he looked at them and said, follow me, he was using the terminology that all rabbis used when they were calling young men to be their disciples. All rabbis had disciples. And Jesus was calling them. And so that was a next level of personal investment. They're saying, you're choosing me? Do you, I mean, do you know who I am? Because in order for a rabbi to call someone to be his disciple, he had to know them. Which is so interesting about this story, because on one hand, on the surface, Jesus didn't know them. And he was at, they had to have been in the boat saying, why is a rabbi calling us to be his disciple when he doesn't even know us? But Jesus standing on the shore, probably with a smile on his face, knowing that that was the question they would be asking in their mind, says, oh, but if you knew how much I know you, if you knew the plan that I have for you, Peter, one day you'll be the rock that I'm gonna build my church on. And even in this room, he's looking at you saying, if you just could know, if you went all in with me, what your life would look like. The, the destiny, the purpose, the calling. It, it, you, if you just knew, and that's what Jesus is standing on the shore thinking he made this so personal for them. He's calling you personally. The second thing we need to know about the call of Jesus is that he asks you to drop your nets. He asks you to leave your nets behind. In Mark 1.18, after the call of Jesus, he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 18, there's this simple statement. It didn't say they got into a big discussion and asked what that meant, and technically, what things do I need to leave behind, and technically, what can I carry with me? Can I take this relationship? Can I take this way of thinking? I wanna follow you, Jesus, but I don't, but I still want a little bit of the same old person with me as I go. No, 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 it just says, they immediately left their nets and followed him. They were so captivated by Jesus, they said, whatever it takes to follow that guy, I'm gonna follow him. Whatever it takes. If it takes me leaving the nets, leaving my occupation, leaving my livelihood, I'm gonna show this man who's calling us that he is number one. Jesus is asking us to leave our nets. I believe this is why so many people never fully experience Christianity, this life with God like it's meant to be experienced because we won't leave our nets. We, we have these nets in our lives and we're saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I, I, I wanna be your follower. I wanna go to heaven one day. I, I, want, I want what you have to offer, but Jesus, I, I, surely you're not asking me to, to leave this relationship behind. I, I know that the godly people in my life, I know what your word says about being unequally yoked but Jesus, come on, like you also say to love people, right? 
So, I mean, surely I can, I can bring this relationship with me on this journey. And Jesus is saying, you have to leave the net. Surely, Jesus, I, I don't have to believe everything the Bible says. I mean, I, mean I, I can still believe what I want to believe about identity because I like the Bible. I like you. But, I mean, come on. It's an ancient book and, and culture's changing. Can I still can I bring these ide ideologies with me? And Jesus is saying, I love you. I still want you to follow me, but you're gonna have to leave something behind. Jesus, I, I mean, can I, you don't understand, Jesus, how much this person hurt me. I don't want to forgive. At least let me bring that little bit of anger with me as I follow you. And Jesus is saying, leave your nets behind. You know, it's interesting when we look at the stories in the New Testament, they're all through the New Testament. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus just a few chapters later and says, I wanna be your disciple, I wanna follow you. And Jesus looks at him and says, great, I want you to be my follower. He's a rich young ruler, a rich guy, and he says, I want you to go sell everything, everything you have, give it to the poor, then you can follow me. Now we're looking at that going, do I have to do that? The good news is this, Jesus in his life was pointing to a greater truth than what he was actually asking people to do. He's not asking you to go sell everything necessarily, unless he is. But this scripture is not saying, go sell your home, go sell everything, give it to the poor. He's not saying, I want you to leave everything behind, like these nets, leave your job, leave this, leave everything. What Jesus is saying is this, I'm not asking you to do it, but would you be willing to? And what do you depend on the most? It's a transfer of dependence. Jesus is taking us from a life of depending on my job for my livelihood instead of depending on God for everything. Dependence on this relationship for fulfillment. I don't know who I would be without him if he broke up with me. I don't know, I don't know who I would be without this person. Jesus is saying, then you can't be my follower because it's a transfer of identity. It's a transfer of dependence that I believe far fewer Christians have ever actually done. I think a lot of people are saying, I'm a Christian, but they're still standing in the boat and Jesus is still saying, follow me. But they think they're following. But they haven't been willing to transfer what they worship to Jesus. It's a matter of what we value the most. What are the nets in your life that Jesus is calling you to leave behind? Like I mentioned, it could be a relationship, an ungodly one. The Bible says to do not be unequally yoked. It could be friendships. And this isn't just to high schoolers and college students, it's to everybody. One of the greatest things that keeps people from experiencing all that God has are friendships that we are not willing to let go of in order to fully go in with God. I'm not saying you have to go to friends that are ungodly and say, I never wanna to talk to you again, but the idea is go on this journey with me as I go with God. There's a difference between the relationships in my life that I influence and the relationships in my life that influence me. Jesus is saying, you're not strong enough to follow me and stay in the center of the relationships that shape you when they're shaping you in a way that's contrary to what I wanna make you into being. That's the truth. It could be relationships, friendships. It could be the dominance of our kids' schedules. Thing to thing, event to event. We're in a whirlwind in life and a schedule and having our kids a part of things has become the dominant force in our entire lives. And we're wondering why we're empty. 
A sport isn't going to fulfill you or your kids. I think sports are great. All of my kids have done them. I'm a fan, but not to the point where it dominates our lives and robs us of our joy and our time and robs us of keeping Jesus amazing, taking our kids out of youth group, our kids out of church. Every once in a while is fine, but far, I mean, far too many children are being raised outside of church and the family is calling themselves Christians. What's gonna happen when they're not in the house of God? Jesus will no longer be amazing. People are, have the unwillingness to forgive. People are trying to carry pet sins into this life with Jesus and he's saying, drop the net. Some people don't want to fully go all in with God and handling money God's way. God, I wanna give you everything, but don't touch my money. Don't touch my schedule. Don't touch my money. It could be pride, so many things. All of us have something we have to leave behind. In Luke's account of this story, as Jesus approaches Peter and the others and the disciple, he, again, like I said, he says, throw your nets on the other side. They've been fishing all night long, haven't caught anything. Now this rabbi who's not a fisherman, I think sometimes we need to put ourselves in these stories and think about how odd they are sometimes. This rabbi is walking on the shore and then these fishermen are mad, exhausted. They have caught nothing all night. That's their livelihood. And Jesus goes, hey, it's almost like patronizing. Because he goes to fishermen, have you thought about maybe putting your nets on the other side? They're, I promise you, they weren't like, yes, Lord, we'll do it. They were looking at each other like, who is this guy? I mean, he's insulting us. Of course we've tried the other side. Cast your nets on the other side. But they were so desperate, they do it. And there's this massive haul of fish. He says, cast your nets on the other side. And Jesus, this whole miracle, his whole miracle was for one reason. Because Peter and the other disciples knew deep down what Jesus knew deep down about them is that they were just as empty as their nets before them and their nets encountered Jesus. They were just as empty. They were doing this job day in and day out, paycheck to paycheck. The schedule was crazy. The empire was crumbling. All of these things were happening and there was so much stress and they were empty. And Jesus was using the fish and the miracle not to feed them for a day, but to show them who could feed them for a lifetime. That's what Jesus was doing. I think today we have to come to terms with the fact that we may be just as empty as the things in our lives that aren't working out. And Jesus is calling us to follow him. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The call, the second aspect of the call, number two is the call to fish for men. So there's the call to follow Jesus, just this one little statement, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It's the call to fish for men and women. Of course. Mark 1.17 says, then Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. This statement, again, put yourself in this position. This miracle just happens. Now they're pretty like, oh, cool. This, is, this, is, uh, this guy's something. And he goes, follow me. There are young Jewish guys, a rabbi saying, follow me. They're like, this is cool. Apparently this is a miracle. Now this rabbi who can do a miracle is saying, follow him. This is gonna be great. And he goes, and I'm gonna make you. There's only one promise that Jesus gave them. It wasn't a list. It was one statement. He says, I will make you. Can you imagine the anticipations building? What is he gonna make us? What is he gonna make us? And he tells fishermen, he's gonna make them fishers of men. I promise you, they weren't like, 
high-fiving each other and like, yes, this is gonna be the best life ever. They all looked at each other and they said, what in the world is this guy talking about? Because you look in history, secular and Christian historians alike agree that this is the first time this statement was ever spoken or written in all of ancient literature or writings. Jesus coined this statement for the very first time, spoke it into existence. They had no idea what it meant. They had never heard it before, but he was showing them in the same way the effort that you guys are using to fish for fish, what we're gonna do is fish for men. And they still wouldn't have even known what it is. But fishing for men is being a light in the darkness. Fishing for men is what in the church world we call evangelism. Fishing for men is building the kingdom on earth, establishing the church, uh, ex- preaching the gospel, extending the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to people. It's evangelism. It's about the gospel, the good news. And what Jesus is saying is this. It's, it's, a, it's a two-part phrase. If you follow me, so I want you to follow me. Come follow me. If you do that, here's the outcome. Here's what it looks like when someone follows me. Ready? If you follow me, This is the fruit of your life. You will be fishers of men. That's convicting. Because I asked the statement at the beginning, how many of you are followers of Jesus? But Jesus said, if you follow me, you will be fishers of men. You know, I, I think that this is probably a weakness for most people. And I don't even know if we can blame ourselves individually. I think this has been something the church at large has dropped when it comes to priority and training people on how to be a light in the darkness, to share their faith. If you're like me, I'm a pastor and it's intimidating for me. I can't imagine what it would be like for most people. I'll get into a conversation about faith and my heart is doing this, you know, and I'm a pastor. I do it for a living. But what does it mean to be a fisher of men? And it's it's such a huge priority because it is the fruit of a person's life when they are maturing in their faith. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher and theologian of the 1800s, said this. I think I may say to every person whom whom I'm addressing, if you are saved yourself, the work is but half done until you are employed to bring others to Christ. You are as yet but half formed in the image of your Lord. You have not attained to the full development of the Christ life in you unless you have commenced into some feeble way to tell others of the grace of God. And I trust that you will find no rest to the sole of your foot till you have been the means of leading many to that blessed Savior who is your confidence and your hope. His word is, follow me. Not merely that you may be saved or even that you may be sanctified, but follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is the call of every believer. It is not the call of pastors. It is not the call of evangelists. This is the call of every single believer that we will be fishers of men. And like I said, this word is evangelism. And in evangelism, it's really broken into two parts scripturally. There's two mentalities when it comes to evangelism. The first mentality is the come and see model. There's the come and see model, and then there's the go and tell model of evangelism. The come and see model, I think that our church is really good at. The come and see model is this. Um, Hey, Jesus is doing something over there, and I want you to come and see. Just come and see. Well, I, I got to know a lot before that. Like, I'll be honest with you. I don't really know a lot yet, but just come and see. Like, that's come and see. Come see what's happening. That could be church on Sunday. 
It could be an Easter service. If you look around, our church is growing. There are people coming. There are people that are coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ every single Sunday. I think our church is really good at come and see, but when it comes to go and tell, I don't know. If you're like me, that's a weakness of mine, if I'm being honest. Like I said, it, it brings anxiety to me. Why? Because I think we have a tendency to overcomplicate it. We think the world is gonna scream at us if we share our faith. We, all we've seen is it done poorly on university campuses where somebody's standing on a box and telling people they're going to hell. And we're looking at that like, that's what I'm supposed to do? like, no. Even Jesus is looking at that guy going, hey, bro, you need me before you talk about me. So kind of thing. So I think we have this whole false image of, of what it looks like to evangelize. What it looks like is with the same excitement you talk about a movie, with the same excitement you talk about someone new that's cutting your hair or where you got your nails done, the same excitement about whatever we're excited about, with that excitement where we tell people about it, it's just showing people I'm also excited about the thing, the only thing that matters eternally. And I think sometimes, again, we overcomplicate it, but what I'm gonna do is show you with the go and tell. Over the next few months, we're gonna dive pretty deep into this in a few more sermons, so I'm not gonna go deep, deep today on this, but I do wanna give you six go and tell tips on sharing your faith very quickly before we end. Here they, here they are, I'm just gonna read through them quickly. Number one, you find yourself in a conversation somewhere. Um, you start with your story. You're in a line at the airport, you're on an airplane, you are on the sideline at one of your kids' games, grandkids' games, wherever you are, a conversation starts, and even if you're introverted, for extroverts, that's normal for you, but even if you're introverted, if all of a sudden a conversation starts with someone, you're gonna be surprised no matter what because you're introverted, but then step back and say, could this be God opening up a doorway through a conversation that came naturally, and then you... Lead in once you get to the point of past all the pleasantries and it kind of starts moving into something. People just want to know stories. Ask them what their story is. They'll ask you what yours is. And when you share your story, it's just your story. Second one, avoid debates at all costs. Don't debate someone when you're sharing your faith. Jesus did not debate people that didn't know him as savior. He debated religious people that thought they did. Three, ask questions. So many people think they don't have the answers to the questions. I don't think you need to have all the answers to the questions. I think you need to ask good questions to them. What questions can I ask someone when I'm in a conversation that will lead them to opening up somewhat in their life to where they might ask me some questions. Number four, keep it simple and rely on God. I think one of the things I love about Alpha, the Alpha courses that we do, is the, um, the understanding and the teaching that we need to rely on the Holy Spirit a whole lot more to do what the only the Holy Spirit can do, which is to draw people to repentance. I can't lead someone to repentance, I can point them to the one who can, right? And so I think sometimes we need to get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do his job. Number five, be transparent and authentic. Don't present yourself as someone who has the answers, who your life is great and perfect. The best way to get on the same page with someone, common ground, right? Imperfections, be transparent and authentic. Number six, ask for God's help. If it's a scheduled conversation, like with a family member that you're gonna wanna share your faith with, pray along the way saying, God, intervene. I'm asking for help. I'm asking for help. If it's a spontaneous conversation in the back of your mind, God, I need help. God, I need help. I need help. Like I said, I'm a pastor, and that's what I'm thinking in the back of my mind every time I get into a conversation with someone is, God, I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. Six tips that can help you 
share your faith with someone that you find yourself in a conversation with. I also wanna, I wanna show you this. I'm, I'm not quite done, but I'm almost there. So on my phone, I have a QR code, and we're trying to come up with easy ways where we're eliminating hurdles for you when it comes to, uh, I was just talking about go and tell, but I'm gonna go back to the come and see model because we're leading into Easter. So a time, this is a time for the next few weeks where people are open to coming to church. Um, there's just something in the atmosphere right now in regards to the resurrection and Jesus where people are open. So what this is, is you scan that QR code, you're gonna go to a page on our website that has an image that you can download as your wallpaper with a QR code. So yes, you're using a QR code to get a QR code. Yeah, very 2023. Okay, so when you get the QR code downloaded, put it as your wallpaper, here's why. Make it easy. If I'm inviting someone to church, I'm the pastor. And they go, what time are your services? And I'm like, oh, but, 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 I, uh. I'm like, I don't know. I, I'm just here all day, you know, kind of thing. So if you're like me, you're not gonna remember what the service times are. You're gonna remember the one time you go to because you guys are creatures of habit. You even sit in the same places, in the same services, I notice. So this QR code, you get into a conversation and you may not have an invite card on you. What this QR code does is it sends the person, they just scan it, it sends them right to our homepage. We've simplified our homepage to where it just says the service times, the name of our church, and they can go anywhere they wanna go from there to our, from our website. But we've made it as easy as possible. Just, hey, scan this QR code. It'll get you all the information you wanna get. I'm committing to always having this on my phone. What I'm asking you guys to do is maybe through Easter, have this on your phone. It'll be a constant reminder before you open your phone to share your faith with someone or invite someone to church. My last couple minutes here, I wanna bring us back to this story. And so you, Jesus first calls the disciples in Mark 1, Matthew 4, Luke 5. But then after Jesus resurrects, um, he appears a few times to different people and especially to the disciples. And when he's appearing to the disciples, it, it's, I think up until what I'm about to read you, he's appeared twice. But for whatever reason, it almost feels like this limbo time in the story of Christ and the story of church because the book of Acts hasn't happened yet. Pentecost hasn't happened yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't, hasn't fallen yet to ignite the church. So there's this limbo time between the resurrection and the ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Are you following me? So the disciples in this time of limbo are, are thinking, well, what do we do now? And there's a natural gravitational pull on everyone's life to do one thing, to go back to your safety net where you started. When, when Jesus isn't doing exactly what we thought he should be doing, I mean, they're looking at him going, he resurrected. And he's like just randomly appearing at times and eating with us and walking through a wall, not really explaining things. I don't even know what we're supposed to be doing right now. And so what they're, they're thinking through all these things, and here comes, we've all been there, Jesus isn't doing what he thought, what we thought he should be doing, and here comes this gravitational pull back to what we initially left behind when we were first amazed by Jesus. And Jesus finds himself, again, the disciples are fishing back in Capernaum. They're standing on this boat fishing again, and Jesus walks down the shore, and he sees them, and he just yells out, recreates the opening scene, right? Cast your nets on the other side. They do it, and they realize it's Jesus. Peter jumps out of the boat. He had just denied Jesus three times. He wasn't even there at the cross when Jesus died. I mean, he's, you know, he's like running to Jesus. This is the third appearance, and he's saying, Jesus, I need you, I need you, and he's running to him, and then Jesus has breakfast prepared, and then 
I've, I'm gonna read you something I've read, I'm not joking, several hundred times. And something I've never noticed, ever. Jesus, they eat breakfast and the other disciples walk away and he has this conversation with Peter. It says this in John 21, 15. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs or feed my sheep. This, we know this story. This is when Jesus reinstates Peter into ministry. But what's so odd about it this time? When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What are these? What are these? What was Jesus talking about? Most of the time, like when I was younger, people just assumed, assumed that he was talking about the other disciples. But I started researching that even more this week and the, the famous and well-respected commentator William Barclay has a very opposite viewpoint on these. He said it's impossible for this question, the these, to be about the other disciples where some men have gone. Because Jesus spent three years trying to beat out of Peter and eliminate from Peter all competitiveness out of him. No more competition. No one's great, no one's better, Peter. It's the, the way to the top is the bottom. He's been teaching this, especially to Peter, for three straight years. He's not gonna look at Peter and say, do you love me more than them? As if it was a contest. William Barclay said he wasn't pointing that way to the disciples. He was pointing that way toward the nets. And he said, Peter, look at the boat and look at the nets. I called you from them. When I didn't add up and measure up to what you thought you wanted, you wanted me to be, you went back to them. But I'm still gonna give you another shot at this. Do you love me more than your past, than your nets that have brought you stability in the past? Can I be the Lord of everything? Or do you just want me to be the Lord of some things? Because if you love me more than these, I'm about to take you on an adventure where people will talk about you for thousands of years. And he said, of course I love you more than those. And he said, then feed my sheep three times. He says, do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, and reinstates him into ministry. I'll tell you this, if we're not following, then we're wandering. And if we're wandering, that means that we have lost the wonder of Jesus. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes today, I wanna pray with you right where you're at. There's two groups I wanna pray for. The first group is simply this. And I'm gonna ask just a lot of just kind of reverence for this moment and just minimize all distractions and movement. I have been praying for this moment all week. And I'm gonna be honest, it's been a, it's been a very heavy week for me. And I told my wife yesterday, I said, I feel a spiritual weight coming into Sunday because I feel like the enemy is fighting against people coming to the true knowledge of Jesus Christ and following him for the first time. I said this earlier, you are not here by accident. Jesus is standing on the shore today speaking to two groups. One, he's saying, you've never followed me and I'm calling you and he's calling you by name and he's saying, step out of the boat, leave the nets and for the first time ever, Follow me. Go on this adventure with me. Come alongside me. And the second group, I believe he's speaking to today. He's standing on that shore and he's saying, 
You followed me before, just like with Peter, but you went back. And I'm sitting here with you today, looking at you again. This is Jesus looking at you saying, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than what you went back to? Because the life I have for you will blow your mind. The destiny, the calling, the fulfillment, the adventure, nothing is better than a life with Jesus. If you're in either of those groups, I wanna, in a second, I'm gonna count to three and I want you to raise your hand. I'm not gonna have you stand or come forward, but I just wanna know who I'm praying for today. And we're gonna pray that this is a moment of salvation. This is a moment of, of a rededication, a revitalization of a relationship with God. And I'm begging you, don't leave the same as you came in. Be amazed by Jesus today. Be amazed. If you would like to be included in this final prayer in either of those groups, on the count of three, just lift your hand. One, two, three. Keep them up just for a moment. Thank you. You can put them back down. How amazing is it that we have a God with a smile on his face just saying, follow me. I wanna do life with you. I'm gonna pray and I want you to make this prayer your own. It's not a prayer that we recite that saves you. It's, it's a confession of faith. It's, it's deeper than that. It's calling on the name of Jesus, believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. It's a dedication from the soul, knowing I'm not gonna be perfect, but I am getting out of this boat and I'm following Jesus. And it's surrender to him as Savior and Lord. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for every person that raised a hand. And Jesus, today, we just wanna be amazed by you. We're used to you. And we're so sorry. I wanna be amazed. I wanna follow you. I want the life that you have for me. I want the life beyond these tears, beyond this pain. I want the life of fulfillment. I want the life free of anxiety. I want the life where I'm walking with you and talking with you, where, where I'm living in purpose and fulfillment, Jesus. I wanna walk with the Prince of Peace. I wanna acknowledge you as Savior and Lord. I know what you did on the cross for me. I surrender to you. Because you died on the cross, I can have salvation because you are the sacrifice for the sin in my own life. And if I call on your name right now, I am free and I am saved. Today, Jesus, I follow you. No more wandering. I follow you. Forgive me. Cleanse me. I give my life to you, Jesus. And in your name we pray, amen.